Renee, I think it's possible that Carl is exactly the genius, the evil genius that you think he is, to give you that spiritual work that you are called to do. And so often we ministers, whether we admit it publicly or not, we give ourselves the very hardest spiritual work that we need to do. We only preach what we need to hear. And if I am being fully honest with you and my friend Carl would have me be nothing else in your presence, I hate sermons about forgiveness. I hate it. I especially hate my own sermons about forgiveness, so this is going to be a fun one. In fact, over 15 years of weekly preaching, a sermon about forgiveness that does not make me, the preacher, mad is like my white whale. I have set out in a hundred different ways to preach something other than handy moralisms of what one ought and ought not do just because... And time and time again, I come back wondering just what it takes to speak an honest word in painful times. You see, most of the time when I preach about forgiveness, I preach in one way or another about what it actually takes to do the deed, about what is required of us to extend that kind of graciousness out into the world and to others within the world, what is required of us to extend that kind of graciousness to those who have hurt us. Most of the time, my sermons on forgiveness fall short in my estimation when I try to convince people that they ought to do it because it is the right thing to do. And right now, in this moment in our personal lives, surely in your congregation, most assuredly in this world all around us, in this time when there is so much aching, when we are raging against the machine of American politics, I have increasingly begun wondering If forgiveness is not at all about doing what is right and what is wrong in the first place, there is a moral argument to be sure. But what if, just for now, we could strip away all the high-minded rhetoric and all the wishful thinking, all of the moralizing and the preachy declarations, and look plainly at this thing? What if we really look at it honestly, and we find that forgiveness isn't about doing anybody any favors at all. I will posit today that perhaps forgiveness is worth it and has always been worth it, yes, even in times as heartbreaking as these, not because it is the right thing to do or Reader's Digest wrote a story about its power, but because it is a way of being kind to our own souls. And so here is my challenge to us all today. If you grapple with whether and how and when to forgive the ones who have caused you pain, consider this. What if you don't do it for them, for the sake of those who have wounded you, but first and most importantly and always for yourself? There is a roadmap for this. 
a way forward scratched out by those who came before us whose legacy we might aspire to follow. We are not the first generation of broken-hearted ones to grapple with such things. We will not be the last because forgiveness is a tougher and stronger thing than we often admit. It is not weak. It is not cozy. It is not even kind. It is a battle waged in the soul which has always had high stakes, a battle for which teachers and sages across the ages have laid out tactics that are available to us even now and have never been neat or tidy. Take, for instance, this ancient story of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. After he had taken a vow of poverty, Siddhartha was invited for dinner at the home of a very wealthy man, a Brahmin of the highest class. Siddhartha was hungry and he was poor. And so he arrived at the time appointed for that dinner. He took his seat at the table and he prepared to enjoy the generosity of his abundantly wealthy host. He was ready to be greeted with graciousness. And what Siddhartha got instead was an entire buffet of disdain. You see, instead of entertaining him or providing him with sustenance, that Brahmin host launched into a loud and vocal tirade against the Buddha. He told him he was a hack, he was a false prophet, he was a loser and a bum, and who did he think he was anyway? He had led the people astray. The Brahmin swore and cussed and spit and worked himself into a red-faced righteous tizzy to which the Buddha still hungry politely responded, Do people often accept your dinner invitations, good Brahmin? <laughs> oh, yes, the man replied. What do you do when they come to your table, said Siddhartha. Oh, we prepare a sumptuous feast such as you have never seen. What do you do if they are not hungry or they refuse to receive your meal? Why, we gladly partake in all the dishes ourselves, said the Brahmin. Well, good Brahmin, you have invited me for alms and entertained me with abuse, which I decline to accept. So now it belongs to you. <laughs> and that is where one of the wisest sages of all history left it, refusing to take upon his own shoulders the baggage of another man's scorn. He left that man to feast upon the bitter gall of resentment all by himself. When offered up a great big platter of someone else's anger, the most enlightened of us all said simply, that's all right, you can keep it. And he went on his way. And that right there, the decision to let the fuming and angry people fume by themselves, the decision to walk away not only from the table where the abuses are served, but from the emotional labor of carrying that abuse around with him, that decision is part of what made Siddhartha the one the world had been waiting for. You have invited me for kindness and entertained me with abuse, which I decline to accept, he said, so now it belongs to you. And without attachment or resentment, 
or the added suffering of continued connection to the one who abused him, he went to live his life unencumbered and perhaps quite a bit more free than he ever could have been if he carried that resentment out of the room with him. Because the alternative never would have worked in the first place. To get up from the table at which we have received scorn and carry all that persecution with us, the attendant anger, resentment, frustration, and self-doubt that are the byproducts of all the torments we have known, to heap our begging bowls full of the Brahmin scorn in our own life, when has that ever paid off in the long haul? Time and time again, We are asked to choose what we will carry with us. All the things that Siddhartha politely left behind, and in so doing, if we choose to carry them alongside us in our bowls, we sentence our own selves and not the other person to the continued presence of resentment and hatred and anger. There are times, I know, when anger is just about all we have. There are times when it is the fire that keeps us alive to fight another day. I do not deny it. I have lived it. There are times when being righteously resentful is the only thing that gets us to rise up from the table our abusers have set and move out that door toward the rest of our lives and all that beckons within them. I know that. But those times of bitter self-preservation, those times of anger that gets you through the day, they are not meant to last forever. That burst of fear mixed with anger can only get us so far, and there comes a point when the resentment that once protected us has outlived its usefulness, when it is no longer justified by its utility, and instead of a useful tool for survival, it becomes a burden that drags us down to further depths to which we dare not sink if ever we want to come up for air. Forgiving is the intentional unburdening of such a weight. It is flexing your own muscle to drop what wounds you behind you in your own dust. And it is that kind of forgiveness that I want to invite us into, that kind of forgiveness that I want to access in my life, the kind that clears out a space in my heart once occupied by resentment and presents it back to the world ready and willing for new occupancy. I yearn for the kind of forgiveness that sweeps the floor clean and passes a breeze through the musty, closed-off corridors of my spirit. And that kind of forgiveness is not smaller or selfish because it is in my own best interest. It is brave and, frankly, altogether logical. It is a battle that is now and has always been worth winning. More recently than the sutras of the Buddhist tradition, there's this fearless and fierce Lutheran pastor I love named Nadia Bolsweber, She's reflected recently on the fact that pain creates bonds that lash us together with those who have caused us harm. 
That pain, she says, may be a part of what makes us who we are. We may be reborn in the crucible of that pain so thoroughly that we would never turn back the clock if we could. But the fact remains that as long as we carry resentment, we are connected to the mistreatment we have suffered at the hands of others by something that feels an awful lot like a chain. It binds us. It tethers us to the sources of our pain. It keeps us from reaching out for something that feels rather more like freedom. Says Bowles Weber, these chains that connect us to the ones who have hurt us, these chains do not have to hold us forever. In her words, I really believe that forgiveness is nothing less than an act of fidelity to an evil combating campaign. And so it is not an act of niceness. It is not being a doormat. Maybe retaliation for the harm done to me does not combat evil. Maybe it feeds it. So what if forgiveness, instead of being a touchy-feely way of saying it's okay, is actually more like wielding bolt cutters and snapping the chain that links us? What if it is like saying what you did is so not okay that I refuse, refuse to be connected to it anymore? Forgiveness in this way is about being a freedom fighter, and free people are dangerous people. Free people are not controlled by their past. Free people laugh more than others. Free people see beauty where others do not. Free people are unafraid to speak truth to stupid. Free people are not chained to resentments, and that, that, she says, is worth fighting for. You and your own well-being, it is worth fighting for. Even if the battle happens not out there in the world, but entirely in the landscape of your own soul, after all, you cannot do anything about what someone else does with your forgiveness. You cannot make anyone receive it. You cannot force anyone into renewed relationship and covenantal behavior. But you can make an investment in your own freedom, freedom from those ties that bind you to what has hurt you, And forgiveness, indeed, is not about saying it's okay, but about caring enough about yourself to pick up those bolt cutters and sever the chain that is hurting no one more acutely than you. Do not do it for them. Do not do it because you're supposed to. For sure, do not do it because some minister just stood in front of you and preached about it. You do not have to be good wrote the great poet Mary Oliver. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves, and by forgiving, by wielding those bolt cutters and breaking those chains, you might allow that love to take up residence more richly in your heart. Because, of course, not only do we have no power to choose how someone will receive our forgiveness, we have no power to keep ourselves from being wounded in the first place. We don't get a redo on the struggles that make us who we are, and the gifts we receive can only be opened in the context of every single thing that came before. That's where poetry comes from, where compassion abides, 
in the places within us that were broken to bits before the possibility of forgiveness knitted them back together. Mary Oliver herself, who we just lost in the spring, she just died after her long and glittering life. She knew that these unchosen and unbidden wounds, the things that were never fair and will never be fair, the things we have experienced that were never right and have never been reversible, she knew those things were part and parcel of her creative spirit. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness, she once wrote. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. And that kind of forgiveness that repurposes our pain, that invites us to spend our limited energy on what we love instead of continued outlay of emotion on what hurts us, that kind of forgiveness is not treacly or wishy-washy. It is frankly kind of badass, and it is more of a talent that you can cultivate in yourself than a moral teaching you should feel pressured to follow. To forgive, says philosopher David White, is a skill. It is a way of preserving clarity, sanity, and generosity in a life, a beautiful way of shaping the mind to a future we want for ourselves. It is a way of relating to the world you want to live in, not merely the box of darkness someone once handed you against your will. As White says, to forgive is to put oneself in a larger gravitational field of experience, than the one who first hurt us. It is to say, I will be pulled by something larger than the pain you have caused me. I will orbit something grander than your abuse. I will rise from the table and leave you to feast yourself on your ancient resentments. I will get myself free because free people are dangerous. They have big ideas. They make big plans. They interrupt the status quo. They imagine new realities. Free people are untethered. And while we cannot manage our other people's lives or take back the pain we have known, we can choose our own freedom again and again and again. Because nothing is as it should be, including our lives and our relationships and our nation and our world, but everything is chock full of beauty and possibility and grace should we make room in our hearts to receive them. And there it is, people. Another sermon about forgiveness. Don't do it because it feels like the right thing to do. Do it because you are a stone-cold badass. Do it because the battle for space in your own spirit is now and has always been worth winning.